Good to see you again and to be together. Uh, we are missing Pastor Jonathan, if you have noticed that. He's away at a conference uh, with some of the other men in our church, and uh, we can also be praying for them, that God would work through this conference and also grow them together as uh, leaders in our church. We're grateful that he can take this time away and be together with those in our church body. Uh, it's somewhat hard because there's just so much fullness uh, in my heart and mind from these mission trips as I was pondering God's goodness and kindness to us to think that we have two teams um, and full and uh, seeing how God has already worked through the teams and will continue to do so. We have much for which to thank him. So uh, good. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. However, I'm not saying that I wish I was still there. Don't worry about that. I am happy to be here and uh, grateful to be together to see uh, God's word and grow together in his truth. We're in 2 Samuel 17 today, 2 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, perhaps you've had a few experiences like me when reading stories. Uh, you get mixed up on occasion with which characters go in which story. Like, was Prince Caspian part of the group that went to Mordor? And did Gandalf use the force to accomplish good? And uh, we need Gollum to have more force used on him, right? Uh, so occasionally, uh, these things happen to us. And we've been enjoying the Samuel series for several months now. But in talking with some of you, it's become apparent that perhaps a moment of, uh, shall we say, awareness would help us with the characters and the stories. Uh, nothing to feel badly about, of course, but uh, one thing I've learned with ministering to our youth is that it's helpful to point out the good guys and the bad guys. And so we'll, uh, for, for clarity's sake, and so we'll, we'll reintroduce ourselves here to the characters in the account of chapter 17, and then we're going to dive into God's sovereign care for his people and plans. So first we have David, a good guy, uh, God's chosen king to lead his people. And then we have Absalom, a bad guy. This is David's son who led a rebellion against David, his father, to take over the king. So at this point, David is on the run for his life, with the group of his followers, and Absalom is in charge in Jerusalem. There are two advisors to the king. One is Ahithophel, another bad guy. But he is loyal to Absalom and well-respected by both David and Absalom for the good advice that he gives. You have a second advisor, and his name is Hushai. He's a good guy. He's loyal to David and has been placed in Absalom's court as a spy for David. Uh, so as you can tell, there's a lot to this account and a lot for the Lord uh, that the Lord would have for us to learn from it. So I think we're ready. Let's go to 2 Samuel 17. We'll begin reading in verse 1, where we pick up the account with Ahithophel here giving advice to Absalom. The Bible says in verse 1, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king. 
and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. This is the eternal word of the only God. We have another intense installment of the unfolding of Israel's history and God's care for his good plan for his people. Starting back in chapter 15, king, the king's son, King David's son Absalom, he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And King David becomes aware of this coup, and obviously he runs for his life. Not a good time to be in the city. In chapter 16, then, Absalom enters the city of Jerusalem with his followers, and he follows the atrocious advice of the well, very well-respected Ahithophel. And this brings us now to the details we find here in chapter 17. First, Ahithophel counsels Absalom. But we first cross paths with Ahithophel back in chapter 15, where we learn that he chooses to side with Absalom. As we look at chapter 15, we remember King David learns of Ahithophel's decision on his way out of town. The Bible says, now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed. Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. That's two chapters earlier. Ahithophel decides to side with Absalom. And as David learns of it, he says, God, take his advice and make it foolish. 
We also know from chapter 16 that both David and Absalom greatly respected this man's counsel. I want you to hear from the word exactly how it puts the respect that both David and Absalom had for Ahithophel. Now the advice Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking about a word from God. Whoa, that's strong. Such was the regard that both David and Absalom had for Ahithophel's advice. So think about this. Ahithophel choosing to side with Absalom and become his advisor provides a significant threat to the king, King David. He knows this guy gives good advice and he's not on his side. So Ahithophel's advice to Absalom here is to chase David because he's discouraged and he's exhausted. Now, if we fast forward, and we can do this, see, we can cheat and we can read at the end of the chapter. If we read at the end of the chapter, look at the last phrase of verse 29. The people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Ahithophel was right. This was a good time to attack David. He was discouraged. He was weary. This says he was even thirsty. So attacking the king in this condition would throw his followers into a panic. It would cause them to abandon him. And and this is an important part of the plan since causing King David's followers to run would minimize the wrong people from getting hurt or killed. It controls the situation and harms no innocent bystander. This way only King David would be killed and all the rest of his followers would be brought back safely and unharmed and grateful to Absalom. Ahithophel then throws in a little flavoring with his imagery. You probably noticed this. People come back to Absalom and he compares it to the reunification of a bride coming home to her husband. This would be a joyous reunion between the followers of King David and their new king, Absalom. Oh, Absalom hears this and of course it sounds good. How could it not? And it sounds good not just to him but to the elders of Israel, his war council. And it's a good plan. Because David would be off the scene, there'd be no other leader but Absalom to take his place. So this plan would seal his position as the leader and king. And if God had not intervened, the plan would have likely worked. Because David's group was well spent by this point. But in God's care for his own plan, in verses 5 and 6, Absalom asks for a second opinion. Now, though he likes the advice from Ahithophel, he calls in Hushai for a second opinion. I just don't quite understand why he does this, right? Ahithophel's well-respected as an advisor. Why call in this other guy? We even have in chapter 16 where it looks like Absalom is suspicious of Hushai's loyalty. He says, why didn't you follow David when he left the city? This was your friend. How could you not go with your friend? And he pushes him a little bit, like, where was your loyalty? to King David, your friend. So Hushai is an advisor uh, to the king, but he's on the opposite side. And and we see this when he follows David, ready to leave Jerusalem and serve King David wherever he went in whatever situation. But David has other plans for him. I think it's helpful for us to understand this background as we put all the pieces together. When David came to the summit where he used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you go away with me, you'll be a burden to me. How would you like to be told that by this king that you're willing to follow anyway? Buddy, if you come with me, you're going to be a burden. 
But that's what he says. But he says, if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Won't the priests Zadok and Abiathar be there with you? Report everything you hear from the palace to the priests Zadok and Abiathar. Take note, their two sons are there with them. Zadok's son, Ahimaaz, and Abiathar's son, Jonathan. Send them to tell me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's personal advisor, enters Jerusalem just as Absalom entered the city. Whoa, there you have it. We've got a double agent among us. And David has sent his advisor to go and to listen and also to defeat. He has very specific goals that he's supposed to accomplish. So Absalom begins his conversation here with Hushai by relaying the gory details of Ahithophel's advice. The simple but significant choice provides Hushai with an important advantage in fulfilling King David's plans for him. Now he knows what the other guy said. And he can formulate his plan and and help David by knowing what Ahithophel's advice is. So, verse 7, Hushai counsels Absalom. He wastes no time in telling Absalom the other guy's plan is no good. Did you notice that in the text? Hushai's first words, like this guy Ahithophel usually gives good advice, not this time. Now this would be a shocking statement. This is like saying that a southerner doesn't know anything about sweet tea. It's gonna definitely catch Absalom's attention since Ahithophel was so highly regarded as an advisor and a counselor. But Hushai also acknowledges usually Ahithophel has good advice. So he softens it a bit. He explains King David is a fighter, a warrior with a lot of experience, and so are those with him. This wouldn't have been lost on Absalom. He'd heard the stories. He knew the tales about his dad. As an experienced warrior, you're not going to be able to find him easily, he says. David's going to be in hiding and not sleeping in the same area as everyone else. He's too smart for that as a skilled warrior. So how will you take him out if you can't even find him? Hushai makes a lot of sense. David spent a lot of time running from Saul, going cave to cave and hiding. You might remember these things uh, from our study through 1 Samuel. David was a hard guy for Saul to find. So he warns Absalom, not only could he be hiding but also he could attack your troops first, causing them to panic and run. Then if word gets out on Stone Age media that your troops were attacked and they're all running, it's going to cause even the bravest fighters to be afraid and abandon you. And basically, you'll lose. You'll be the loser, the biggest loser. Instead, Hushai says, gather a massive army from the people. Then you... Lead them in battle against David. Now, this advice is markedly different from Ahithophel. See, Ahithophel's plan was for Ahithophel to take a small group, go after, only take out David, bring everybody back. Hushai's is different. Oh, no, he says. Take time. Gather an army that you get to lead, right? Then you get all the glory for taking down King David. He smartly appeals to the arrogance of, of Absalom. So for Absalom, how could it not be the better plan since Absalom is the hero of the story? 
but Hushai isn't done yet. He offers Absalom total victory by crushing David and all of his loyal followers. Ahithophel's advice was only to take out David, but Hushai says, why mollycoddle the bunch? Take them all out. We'll be such an overwhelming force with such strength that we'll even crush any city that harbors David. No city, no person with a force this strong, led by you, Absalom, will stand a chance. We'll be the victors for sure. And sure enough, Absalom and his buddies laud this as the better of the two plans for sure. But in following this plan, Absalom unwittingly gives David time to rest, regroup, and prepare for a battle. Now, I'm not going to give a spoiler alert, but things don't go well for Absalom, as we'll find out next week when Jonathan brings us a message from 2 Samuel 18 and 19. And we remember this is not merely the wit and wisdom, the cunning craftiness of cleverly devised plans by Hushai. Remember David's prayer as he was fleeing? Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. And remember how God had chosen David to be his king, to care for his people, to accomplish his plan for his people, Israel? We see the reason for Absalom's choice from the two plans presented to him. It's God. It's God. This is the work of sovereignty. It was all God's work to frustrate the plans of Absalom and remove him from a position that wasn't his to begin with. Absalom ignored the most important consideration in his let's overthrow dad from being king plot. And that most important consideration was, is God okay with any of this? Now, God had clearly chosen David to be the king of his people, 1 Samuel 28. The Lord has torn the kingship out of your hand, this is Samuel speaking to Saul, and given it to your neighbor David. And do you remember when Saul was chasing David, uh, that David refused to harm Saul in any way? There has been so many times I have been perplexed by this. It seemed almost like the Lord had delivered Saul into David's hand, right? Like, take out the threat before the threat takes you out. So what was it that kept David from following through? This is it. David's response was, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Do you see where his focus was? He was asking, is God okay with this plan? And he said, no, God is not okay with this plan, so I won't touch Saul. This is the Lord's choice. I will honor that choice. He refused to take matters into his own hands, and instead he trusted God's plan, and he trusted God's choice. Now, If we fast forward in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, we see another who refused to take matters into his own hands. It was Jesus who prayed in the garden before his crucifixion, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to the will of his heavenly Father. 
Instead of trying to control the situation or fight back against his persecutors, it was Jesus who was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. And it was Jesus who, after suffering such great torture and shame on the cross, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We see such submission to the Father's will to the point of death. Could Jesus have crushed his enemies right then and there? Absolutely. But it wasn't the will of the Father, so he wouldn't do it. Jesus came humbly instead to do the Father's will, not seeking what was not his, not going his own way, not taking what he wanted by force. And he provides such a stark contrast to Absalom, who took what he desired, even by force, and made life about himself. Absalom didn't follow his father's good example of respecting God's choice for who should be king. He thought higher of himself than he thought of God and God's ways. Why consult God, the king of heaven and earth, when you know it all? So now sovereignty is on the move. There's an attack on the kingdom, on God's own plan for his people. But God is not alarmed. He's not frustrated or discouraged. God acts. He ordained to defeat the usurper and accomplish his own good and wise plan for his people. Now think about this with me for a second. These characters, Ahithophel, Hushai, Absalom, and David, they didn't maybe recognize sovereignty at work in the moment. So you and I, we get an inside, an insider's information here in verse 14 from the narrator who says the reason that he chooses Hushai's plan is because God had ordained, he had chosen for Ahithophel's advice to be defeated to defeat Absalom. This is all the work of God. But they don't recognize that. They don't see that. But that's how our sovereign God often orchestrates his plans and provisions for us, right? Silently, in the background, without our awareness, without our understanding in the moment. We think it's just a seat made on a flight. But God put us next to that person so we could begin to sow the seeds of the gospel to someone who may not have any other way to hear. We think it's a chance meeting with a friend in the grocery store only to become that same person's employee years down the road. God's provision, long before we saw it or even knew we needed it. We think it's the frustration of a flat tire, never knowing how God will use that moment of frustration to accomplish his good and his wise purpose in our life and in the lives of those around us. Whether it's a famine in Egypt with brotherly villainy that ends in provision for God's people through Joseph or putting Jesus on the cross so God could accomplish his redemption plan, sovereignty is at work in the daily circumstances of your life. And Absalom would learn the hard way, you can't fight sovereignty 
and when. You can choose to ignore God's commands, God's ways, God's direction, but the cost is so utterly immense. God is in control, and no other ruler or authority or person with another plan can remove that control. Absalom's arrogance ruined him just as Saul's arrogance ruined him. And isn't that the way pride is? It's a horrific deceiver. We don't see reality because pride is in the way. We think we know better than God, but that's our pride in the way. Ignoring God's plan and trying to subvert it with your own won't work out any better for you than it did for Absalom. Just as fretting that God isn't in control and figuring it out without considering him won't put you ahead. So we can take great comfort in the reality that our sovereign God is at work in the regular decisions, heartaches, successes, and even catastrophes of our lives. As the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow recognized in his poem, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. And we see God's sovereignty at work continue in verses 15 through 22. This is a a fabulous little section that is an exclamation point on the reality that God is the one orchestrating these offense to accomplish his purpose, to protect his servant, the rightful king, and to remove the usurper. Here in verse 15, Hushai warns King David. Now, this is kind of interesting. He's been there when they said, Hushai's plan is better. We won't do Ahithophel's, but notice what Hushai does. He sends word to David to keep moving. Keep moving. Don't stop. Now, remember, you and I know a little bit of a big secret that the characters in this account are not aware of. God's chosen for Absalom to fail. But right now for David, think about what he's going through. He's been chased away. He thought he was supposed to be the rightful king. This doesn't look good. The best best advisor is on the other guy's team. What's he going to do? We don't get any panic or, or sign of that from David. But think also about the emotional and relational heaviness of having a son treat you like this. I think we can say, that's rough. Look how God accomplishes his unbeatable plan. Hushai sends word to David through priests. You may remember hearing about them. It's Zadok and Abiathar. And these priests tell their sons. We've also heard about them before, Jonathan and Ahimaaz. And they head towards David's location to pass along this message from Hushai. But on their way, you guessed it, they got spotted. They got spotted by an Absalom loyalist. So here you're thinking, here comes rescue, here comes provision, and then, oh no, they've been seen. Well, they do what any good uh, spy does, and they hid. They hid in a well and are then helped by a David loyalist. Of course, Absalom sends his people to find these two guys, and guess what they find? Nothing. So they give up, and they go back to Absalom and say, we don't know what happened to them, but they're gone. Let's keep moving. So Jonathan and so Jonathan and Ahimaaz, the priest's sons, continue on to David with their message. This is God at work for his servant. These messengers couldn't be stopped because they were under the care 
of sovereignty. And in the final verses of the chapter, we see in verse 23, God provides for David. First, the enemy is removed. Ahithophel takes his own life after seeing that Absalom didn't take his advice. So the most, the, 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 the most respected advisor using wise counsel against David is now gone. And finally, we also see David and his entourage are well cared for through the kindness and generosity of friends. It's actually kind of an unlikely bunch. And they bring not only food, but also some comfortable furniture. And along with sincere sympathy, they recognize these people are hungry and they're tired and they're thirsty in the desert. This again is the work of our sovereign God taking care of his people through his servant David. And as you look at the whole chapter and you examine whose plan really was better, it's obvious Ahithophel's was better. He was right about David. In fact, the text actually said it was good counsel that he gave to Absalom. And Hushai did not give good counsel to Absalom because by him, by him following Hushai's advice, David now has time with the help of these friends. He has time to prepare. He has time to rest. He has time to plan a strategy of attack. And that's exactly what happens. But I can't go any further about that or I'm afraid you won't come back next week to hear it. And so as we take a step back and look at the old chapter, we see no one and nothing can subvert the plan of God. But so often we're worried, we're afraid, and we're paralyzed by both. The what-ifs of life control and dominate our thinking. And we've lost sight of the wonderful reality that sovereignty is on the move. Don't you think David could have been tempted to think, God, where are you? You've made promises to me. How come you're not following through? I don't see any help going on. But David has no awareness that all of this back end is happening. He does not know, like we know from verse 14, God saw and God was actively at work to remove the usurper and to be faithful to his promises to David. Absalom could not stop God's plan. Saul could not stop God's plan. Not even David in his sin and flawed condition could stop God's plan. And certainly the opponents of Jesus couldn't thwart the plan of God. Now, the rulers of Jesus' day thought they could be rid of him. They could ruin him through crucifixion. But think about the amazing work of sovereignty by putting him on a cross by crucifying the Son of God, they accomplished the sovereign plan of God the Father. So David's kingship was under assault, but God protected him. And Jesus and his followers are under assault today. The battle rages hot and hard, but we find great comfort and stability and safety that God completes his work in us and through us. Jesus is still despised, rejected, demeaned, and disregarded, but he holds us fast. He holds us secure. He holds us safely. So our confidence, our trust is in this sovereign God to accomplish his work in and through us. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel 
of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are strong, that you are mighty, that there is no God like you. We thank you that you are a God who holds us fast, who holds us secure. We have no cause for worry or fear or trouble because you know the beginning from the end. You know the future. We thank you that you are sovereign over us. You're sovereign over all creation. We thank you that you will accomplish your purpose and that you work through unworthy servants like us. Thank you for the mercies of God to us and for this account that points us again to your greatness, your goodness, your mercy, and your power. So to you alone be the glory and the honor forever, Father. Amen.